Welcome to Now Playing, the movie review podcast, hosted by Marjorie, Arnie, and Stuart. Today we're discussing The Human Centipede 2 Full Sequence, starring Lawrence R. Harvey, Ashlyn Yenny, Maddie Black, Candace Kane, Dominic Borrell, all right, a whole bunch of naked people, and directed <laughs> by Tom Six. I'm Arnie, the head segment of Now Playing. Well, I got my lip gloss, and I'm ready to staple up here at Stewart in L.A. <laughs> and this is Marjorie, and perhaps I'm the crazy person who's putting people together, because I ain't going to be part of any human centipede. The only place I'd be is the front, and that would be a really hard sell. Yeah, the girl gets the front this time. I think you ought to let Marjorie in on this, Arnie. You're, <laughs> you're being a little hoggish. Okay, we'll rip her tongue out when we're halfway done. <laughs> And we are back, the three of us. Last year, we reviewed The Human Centipede, a film that I hadn't really heard of. Stuart turned me on to it. I'm like, oh, this sounds like some little artsy thing that I'd have no interest in watching. What? Oh, the title The Human Centipede? What are you talking about, some little artsy thing? I knew right away where this was going. Yeah. Well, <laughs> once you understood medically what they were talking about, once you understood it wasn't a ripoff of the fly, it wasn't like a sci-fi network insect man creature thing. Once you understood the concept, it really did invade my mind. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I mean, I think I spent weeks thinking about ass-to-mouth surgeries. Maybe, you know, there's someone you could seek treatment from for that. <laughs> because that really, oh my gosh, are you going to end up like Martin? Well, that's the funny thing. Coming back to number two just doesn't have the same horribleness to the thought of it. You know, like we've had a year and a half to acclimate, right? I mean, it's been an idea we've gotten to be able to be comfortable with. And pop culture has laughed. Whenever something's introduced in pop culture that really, really gets to us, pop culture turns into a joke. And there's been a lot of, you know, Human Centipede, the video game. There was a three-dog throw pillow I saw on eBay. <laughs> I mean, there was a lot of Halloween costumes. There was a South Park parody. Oh, did they go there? Of course they did. Why wouldn't they? Well, and we were at a horror convention a little bit ago. They had Ashley Yenny there, and she was constructing the world's largest human centipede outside the bar in the hotel. Yeah, see, there you go. It's a drinking game. It's a hearty laugh. I mean, not to say that the movie wasn't already one foot into comedy, but they're really, as a way of... I think normalizing it for an idea that was so insidious and awful and really upsetting, truly an upsetting concept to think about. It had been turned into a joke. So coming into this one, yeah, I was just prepared for more comedy, which is, I guess, also why Tom Six decided to change up the formula a little and, and make it a bit tougher to watch. Well, and it is part of pop culture because you can go to Etsy, which is a handcrafted marketplace. And Stuart, maybe, you know, Santa will buy this for you this year, but there's a crocheted human centipede scarf. Oh, well, how would that work? I guess, oh, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it certainly has become something we've been familiar with, but I've certainly been looking forward to the sequel, wondering how they'd make a sequel. I think we postulated about this at the end of the last Human Centipede podcast. How would they do it? We talked about how Dieter Laser stole that film. Maybe he had a twin brother who was performing the surgeries. So when this was coming out, I knew that I was going to be there opening night with Marjorie in theaters this time to see it, but I wasn't sure if we'd be able to do a review. God knows our slate's pretty full, and I spend way more hours editing than I do sleeping anymore. That's true. <laughs> but because we are in the middle of our fall donation drive, this is a bonus podcast to remind you 
that we are accepting donations. We accept them year round, but right now we're doing our fall donation drive, really trying to raise some money for the show to kind of push us through the next six months. And right now, if you donate $10 or more, you get a full five episodes of The Exorcist, five hours of podcasting for a $10 or more donation. And if you really like the show, you like all these bonus shows we do, like Human Centipede 2, 25 or more, you'll also get The Thing. The newest installment of The Thing just hit theaters. You can get all three Thing podcasts, including 1951's Thing from Another World. But we really, we need your support to keep doing shows, especially at the level we're doing them. We've done 72 shows this year. Yeah, and the pressure is on to keep it going. Not only do we have all this Marvel stuff, you know, next summer, I've been wanting to do Alien. You want to do Spider-Man. There's Batman. We can't do it all unless there is the resources to do that. Not only the willpower, but the resources. The money allows us to have the resources to handle this, to pay for the bandwidth, to do what it takes to produce this level of content. And yeah, I can't deny it's nice to know that we're appreciated, that you let us know more than leaving a note on Facebook, that you really let us know with your wallets that you want us to keep going, that you do want us to tackle these series and do things like these one-offs like Human Centipede and now Human Centipede 2. Yeah, because if you look at all the shows we've done this year and are doing this year, even if you donate 25 in the spring and fall donations, it's still far less than a dollar per hour of podcast. So we really implore you, if you enjoy this show, if you enjoy this series, please donate. If you go to nowplayingpodcast.com, there's a donate button at the bottom. To those of you that have donated, thank you very much and consider this a bonus for your donation because, again, your donations keep us broadcasting. So thank you to everyone who's donated. It is very, very much appreciated. That's my first pitch. My second pitch, if you have any reservation about this content, push stop now. You will not be able to unhear the things that we will say. I cannot unsee the things that I have seen. This is going to offend 99.9% of the population. That last 0.1% is probably already in prison. (laughs) But yet we went and saw this movie with a whole bunch of other people. Yes. All right. Just seeing where we're going here. Chances are, I, I feel like I'd need to be less stressful of the warning than I was the last time, because if you listen to the last show, you really ought to know. If you were really grossed out and offended by the last show, this one probably is going to get into even more scatological creativity here. I, I think you know what you're in for. You know, do it once, shame on me. Do it twice, shame on you for listening. You, you're a pervert. Now, Let's just get break it into the movie, Arnie. Well, I think there's a little bit more. We're going to talk about killing baby. Well, just one. We're going to talk about rape. We're going to talk about shit. We're going to talk about piss. We're going to talk about... Genital mutilation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, no. Yeah, it, As I said already, Tom Six heard what we were saying about the last time for a movie that was about such an offensive act and impossible to imagine surgery. Once you process that, it was fairly tame. He took that to heart, and he really set out to make this one a much more intensely graphic, visual experience. Things we did not see last time, we definitely see this time. We'll get into that, but I'm just warning you, even before the plot summary, you will not be able to unhear this plot summary. So, we're going to give you a second. You can push stop if this is a little making you squeamish. Go listen to our Star Trek reviews. (laughs) 
because we're going to push ahead. And to pursue this, the audience we saw this with, first of all, we were afraid it might sell out. We bought our tickets a month ahead of time. And then we had a friend decide he wanted to go with us. But we got there. It turned out only 50 people had shown up in a 400-seat theater. And the audience was not what I'd expect. I expected to see people who looked kind of like our main character, Martin, perhaps, as <laughs> well as some really long-haired, tattooed, kind of rough-looking guys. But our audience had a lot of women in it, like women alone, not women dragged there by their boyfriends, groups of women. And a couple of people behind us were two daughters, their mom, and their friend. And then the boyfriend who she dragged along, yeah. who did not know what he was getting into. No. Oops. And then there was the weird guy who came all alone, who was in front of us in line, who was really into the movie. But I just... He think- hadn't seen the first one, though. But he was really into this one. Yeah. I also listened to their conversations. They were scared. They wanted <laughs> barf bags. They were talking about taking off their glasses so they couldn't see as well. There was palpable fear of the audience about whether they could endure. It was almost like they were going to watch a donkey rape a woman at a Mexican strip club. (laughs) Perhaps that might have been a better choice for some of them. (laughs) I was about to say, yes, actually. It's comparable. In LA, I went to the same theater, the new art that I went to see, the original. It was still a sellout crowd, and I did have to buy my ticket weeks in advance in order to get in. Definitely a young crowd, I would say 30 and under. There was no sense of dread or anticipation. Everyone was here to party. Everyone was a little bit tipsy. A lot of yelling at the screens. A lot of interactivity. And a celebrity appearance as well. Ashlyn Yenny actually was there with her mom and Nana. Her, uh, I presume, <laughs> 70 or 80-year-old grandmother was also in the audience to take in the L.A. premiere. But it, this was the first screening uh, in L.A. and it was packed. I cannot imagine taking an elderly person to this movie. It's kind of a form of euthanasia, really. (laughs) Isn't it? It's very cruel. Ours was mostly a younger crowd. It felt like mostly college senior types who were taking a break from their studies to watch The Human Centipede. I was also shocked at the number of people I overheard who were at the sequel, not just the guy in front of line of us, but lots of them hadn't seen the first. Yet here they were. I guess they didn't think the plot would be contiguous. Yeah, well, you know, the first one, the release was smaller. I do feel like there was just less hype around the human centipede when it first came out. It was hype. Believe me, there was hype, but not necessarily to go see it in theaters. I think this is the first opportunity for a wider audience to really take it in as a midnight movie. I mean, these are late night screenings, and I I don't know that younger audiences have too many opportunities to really do this kind of thing. You know, I, I feel like it's more fun now that you can see it with a group in a big theater space. Doing it at home with pay TV, just not the same thing. The last one did seem to be in the same theaters in our area that this one is. We just weren't able to find the time to do a midnight showing last time, whereas this time we planned a month in advance, worked our schedules (laughs) to go. But I do feel like our last review, I felt really cool. Like we were cutting edge. We were reviewing a film nobody had heard about. And now our listeners are like, when's the Human Centipede 2 review coming? They know now. We (laughs) include our audience in, but society as a whole has been clued in, again, by South Park and everything else. So it is certainly bigger, and they're already talking about a part three. Well, before we get there, I think we got to break this movie down. Arnie, let's do the closest thing to a plot. Do you need a roll of toilet paper? (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't need a roll of toilet paper, but maybe like the people behind me in a barf bag. Last chance to push stop. 
Martin had nothing going for him in his life. He's mentally challenged, overweight, balding, and really an overall gross and greasy guy. And he's also so short that people refer to him as a midget. He was sexually molested by his father, and when Martin told the cops of his father's incestuous crimes, his bitter old mother turned on him as well, threatening to kill Martin and forcing him to see a creepy psychiatrist who also has sexual desires for Martin. Martin's only escape from his horrible reality is while he works as a parking garage attendant, he repeatedly watches The Human Centipede. Yes, in this movie, The Human Centipede is just a film, and this movie takes place in the quote-unquote real world. Martin's fascination with the human centipede has grown fetishistic. He masturbates with sandpaper while watching the film and has created a large journal that he lovingly strokes detailing the surgeries the fictitious Dr. Hyder performs on his subjects. Martin has studied his pet centipede and decides to build his own human centipede, finding victims who are in his garage late at night. Martin shoots them in the legs to disable them before bashing their heads with a crowbar, and using a large van, he brings his victims to a warehouse where he strips them naked and leaves them duct taped on the floor. But the kidnappings have made Martin feel stronger, and when pushed too far by his mother, he lets his centipede bite her on the face before bashing her head clean through with a crowbar, and then confronts and kidnaps his bully of a neighbor. He kidnaps a couple, which includes a pregnant woman and a man, but when he discovers they have a very small child, maybe three years old, he just locks the kid in the car and leaves him. Throughout the movie, we return to the garage and hear the kid in the car crying. And when he discovers his perverted shrink in the garage sharing a hooker with a friend, he kidnaps the hooker and the friend, but executes the shrink. He also is calling the agents of the actors from The Human Centipede, pretending to represent Quentin Tarantino, supposedly casting a new film in London and asking the human centistars to audition. Eventually, Ashlyn Yenny, who played Jenny, the rear section of the centipede in the first movie, comes to London to audition. She is the final 12th victim for Martin's full-sequence human centipede. Using household tools, Martin tries to perform the surgeries as seen in the movie, but he kills one victim while cutting into their buttocks, and another one, the pregnant woman, seemingly dies during tooth extraction. These deaths hurt Martin deeply as his dream seeps away, so he eventually connects this centipede anus to mouth through use of a staple gun. (laughs) With his ten-piece centipede built, he awaits the feeding, shoving a funnel down Ashlyn's mouth, her star power garnering her promotion to the head of the centipede, and when Ashlyn doesn't defecate immediately, he injects laxative into each segment of the centipede and pretends to conduct a symphony as each person has explosive diarrhea into their successor's mouth, often spilling outside the lips and going everywhere. To celebrate the success, Martin then has sex with the rear of his centipede. But during all of this, the pregnant woman who Martin left for dead went into labor. She got up and ran screaming and naked from the warehouse with asthmatic Martin in feeble pursuit. Outside, she gets in a car which refuses to start, and she unwillingly gives birth to her child in the car. The baby falls to the floorboards right as the car finally turns over, and as the pregnant woman floors the gas, she unwittingly crushes the skull of her newborn baby beneath the gas pedal, saving her own life but killing her child. Martin is distraught and returns to see the centipede has torn itself in half, and Martin begins to execute every segment of the centipede with bullets to the head, and when he runs out of bullets, he starts to carve into the necks of the people. Ashlyn fights back, attacking Martin and using the funnel to allow Martin's centipede to run up his own ass before Martin kills her as well. And with his human centipede dead, Martin sobs, and then we cut to Martin back in his garage, again watching the human centipede, and we hear the screams of the child still locked in the car as credits roll. I just want to say I love the fact that you called them (laughs) centistars. 
Does that make us a send a pod? I, I don't know. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm curious how many people are still listening, even though we warned them. Then I'm wondering how many people listen to the plot summary and then are still here. <laughs> so if you made it through that, please let us know how far you get in the podcast. I don't know. I feel less squeamish, guys. Maybe it's just me. But this time, even though it's more extreme, I've got to say, just viscerally, this movie does not upset me as much as the last movie did. Well, I think because the last movie, it was implied and it was all left to your imagination. There wasn't much gore in the last movie. Hardly any at all, to be honest. And this movie, everything that you possibly imagined wasn't as bad as what they showed on the screen. Now, what they showed on the screen was extreme. But I think what you can create is just totally ungodly compared to what you saw. And, I mean, honestly, I had no problem with gore. I think they did it really well in this movie. They want to show us everything that they didn't with the last time. But I think that it wasn't less that it was that. It was more to the fact that we've just had some time to normalize to this idea, right? I mean, you spend a year and a half processing a movie about ass-to-mouth surgery. It's just less affecting right i mean it's just had this movie come out as the first movie it would have been even more traumatic for me than the first movie already was but given that it is number two i feel like i could handle it this time i don't know i'm not so worried about our listeners they know what is in it for them at this point at this point they're asking for this kind of treatment i don't know i don't think the gore was any worse than you saw in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the remakes. No, this did take some violence to extreme, but I think that Tom Six is really trying to take it to the next level. People talked about the human centipede. They were fascinated by it, like you were, Stuart. I was fascinated by it. The 100% medically accurate was just, like, blowing my mind to think that this could really happen. I'm like, well, I wonder if people are going to start doing this. Is this a viable solution for anything? And then I think Tom Six gave us what we wanted. I think that basically... For all of those who, like us, went, well, you know, it's a disgusting concept, but it's pretty tame. He was probably upset he didn't offend us more. I really feel like this film doesn't exist like the first one where he had the sixth story and really wanted to tell it. I think that this film exists as a middle finger to the world. He's like, I will offend you. I think he put in anything he could think of. That was offensive. And the more offensive he could think of it, the more he put it in. You want to kill a newborn baby by having the mother kill it? Done. You want to have some masturbation with sandpaper? Done. How about the centipede in the ass? I mean, come on. That was just the way he danced around. I'm sorry. I love that. (laughs) But I think Tom Six just really wanted to offend. And I consider myself pretty unoffendable. But even I was like, wow, you went there. That's what I wanted to hear. You guys feel like this time he delivered on the promise that he didn't quite fulfill with the last movie, that he has actually shocked your system. Not necessarily shocked. I mean, I was hoping for some gore because the last one didn't have it. I love gory movies. I guess I was shocked that he actually killed a baby because that is very taboo in cinema. And I don't know that I was offended because I believe I have the cognitive capacity to understand that what I'm seeing is fake. And people who take it too seriously, I don't relate with. But I was shocked, honestly, that this film could be shown. Because in America, we have obscenity laws. You know, you hear freedom of speech, freedom of expression. That doesn't really apply because they passed a law called obscenity laws that certain expression that is deemed obscene. And what is obscene? The judge says, you know it when you see it. And it actually is defined by community standards. So what's obscene in... St. Louis may not be obscene in L.A., but honestly, the stuff here, 
I mean, when you have the religious right protesting movies like Dogma and whatever, here, this movie exists to be picketed. And I am shocked that they could show it. And I completely understand why the British cinema banned it, because it really is just there to offend and to disgust. Well, first of all, doesn't the obscenity clause apply to pornography? Because that was a whole problem that they had defining was no one could describe pornography adequately enough so the Supreme Court could say, yes, if it does this, you know, it's obscene, but this is not. That's the thing. That's how they all landed on the whole, well, you know it when you see it kind of thing. Yeah, but pornography isn't illegal. Obscenity is. Some pornography is illegal because apparently I saw it and they knew it. Scatological pornography is illegal in the U.S. Bestiality is illegal in the U.S. Rape porn is illegal in the U.S. All of this is defined as obscene. I got to say, one of the most entertaining news programs I ever saw was when the Supreme Court had to weigh in on crushing videos, which apparently involve hot women in high heels stomping on newly born baby birds. And the thought of having <laughs> to watch those nine old people think about possibly watch such a video and weigh whether it's obscene or not, it just was hysterical to me. I, I just feel like you're right. What we're talking about here is really ephemeral it's, it's hard to get a finger on what point you stop and deem something illegitimate to be shown i i'm i'm in general against that principle i think people should have the power to make that up in their own mind but at the same time i can recognize that this movie is more extreme than probably many people that are going into it are prepared for and do they need protection from it well I think a stern warning is enough. I feel like, yeah, it is released in the UK now. They have excised two minutes of it. So there is a cut that they are releasing that is less offensive and less challenging than the version we saw. And even the version that we saw is not what's going to be released on the DVD when it comes out. There is two minutes of footage from this cut that have been cut out. I agree with you, Stuart. I think people should be able to decide for themselves. I really do. But... Given that we live in a country where that's not the case, I was shocked that this didn't have to also go to the Supreme Court right there with the high-heeled bird killers. <laughs> well, and you think about it, now, let's think about what the religious groups protest, okay? They protest dogma because it dealt with their religion and a perceived parody of it, okay? They protest soldiers' funerals because they don't like gay people. Go figure. I don't know what dead soldiers have to do with that, but all right. They're protesting Steve Jobs because he didn't praise God enough. Exactly. So this movie didn't have anything to do with God, so I don't see why they're going to protest it. It's the baby killing that I think pushed it. It's the baby killing where Tom Six really revealed his motivations to me, where that wasn't in service of story. That wasn't in service of plot. That was in service of... Oh, shit flying on the lens isn't enough. Now I'm going to kill a newborn. Okay, now, wait a second, though. If they protest every movie where a child is killed, they're going to be really busy. It's different, and you know it. Yeah, it is. I know, but that wouldn't require these people to have some sort of intelligence about what they protest. And they're not listening to this anyway, so I can say that. <laughs> but let's go through this movie, because I honestly went in completely spoiler-free. I had read some interviews with Tom Six about it. But he didn't want me to know what the plot was. He wouldn't talk about the plot. The first trailer was more like two girls, one cup. Yeah, it was awesome. It was like a re reaction video instead of actually seeing the scenes. And so I went in. I still didn't know if Dieter Laser was going to be in it. I knew nothing going in. And when we start off 
we're seeing a recap, I thought, of the first Human Centipede film, the last scenes. And I'm like, oh, that's good. They're catching up all these people in the audience who don't know. And then we see Martin watching it. And it hit me. The first film wasn't black and white, right? Yeah, that is the first shocker, really, of this movie, is the fact that they've switched aesthetics, really. It feels like an entirely different world by going into black and white. Now it feels very stylized, whereas the first movie felt cheap and grindhousey. This one really feels arty and give me a little bit of a, an eraser head vibe. I had a theory that the reason it was in black and white was that they didn't have to go all out on the special effects budget because black and white is a little bit more forgiving when you're doing gore. And I think that they didn't have to make a lot of the surgeries as realistic as necessary and put a lot of detail in them because it was black and white and it does hide a lot of things like that. And furthermore, I really hate black and white movies, but this one did not bother me. My theory is that it went black and white because movies are sometimes given X ratings if there's too much blood. And I mean, I'm again, not sure this film gives a damn if it's X. It just is afraid of obscenity laws by making it black and white the gore becomes more disassociated, and perhaps, again, he was skirting obscenity laws. I thought that's the reason why all the trailers were in black and white. I had seen the trailers, and I knew that that's how they were presenting it. I thought that they were doing that to hide the fact that it was actually a color movie that was going to really be grotesque with all of the body fluids that you were going to see. So black and white, we don't really know what we're looking at. But no, it was a choice that was made from the start of the film. Probably some of it is to obscure obscenities. Some of it might have been budget. But at the end of the day, they work it to their advantage. I think Tom Six embraces the fact that he's making a different thing. And I think it does have the effect of creating a stark contrast to the world of the movie. By saying that the first movie was just a movie, now we understand that we're in a much harsher, starker, quote-unquote, real world with Martin. Well, and if you look at Martin's life, I mean, this guy has absolutely nothing in his life except this movie. He has a very dark, dreary life. And any exterior shot we see, it is pouring rain, which I'm not sure... Well, it's London. It is London, yes. Yeah. But it could be just his statement on Martin's life, because Martin has a really crappy life, if you think about it. He's short, he's fat, still lives with his mother, his father abused him, his therapist abuses him, he's an attendant in a parking garage. Stuart, was I the only one having flashbacks to some of our recent Hannibal Lecter films? (laughs) This guy was like the tooth fairy to me. Mm. We see the making of the somewhat sympathetic killer, right? I mean, this guy... You feel bad for him in many ways. Well, yes and no. I I feel much like, yeah, with Tooth Fairy, before I can feel any sympathy, I feel utter abhorror at him as a physical presence. This guy, you know, the real test that I said at the end of Human Centipede is, can they find somebody that's going to match Dieter Laser in just being physically imprinting on your brain as a creep? You know, Dieter was so great in that role, the way they looked, the sunken face, the finger nails, all of that. I really felt like they had to bring him back because there was no one earth that could follow in his shoes. I'm asking the room, does Lawrence Harvey work for you as Martin? Is he a suitable Dieter stand-in? I think so, but on a completely different level and for completely different reasons. I think they made a really good choice, and I looked, he's never done anything else in his life, and he probably won't do anything else except Creepy Killer on SVU, but he was... 
bizarre looking. Those eyes. Oh, my God. Yeah. I couldn't take my eyes off of the guy. I think they've done it. I think that they have found someone not freakier. I don't think it can get freakier than Dieter, but it definitely felt like a Harmony Corinne video. Have you ever seen Gummo or some of his work? It's like the people are so strange in the films that you find yourself almost at a freak show. Like you're staring at I could have spent an hour looking at this guy just like sitting in his bed in his underwear, just the face, the eyes. It's just hypnotic how otherworldly he appears to be. He's phenomenal. And it's not just his look. This guy plays it right. His facial expressions. He never says a single word in this film. He just moans and makes sounds. And fart sounds. Does he have the ability to talk? He must. Because he calls and sets up the auditions. That's what I was wondering, is that we know from the phone calls that someone is impersonating Tarantino or <laughs> Tarantino's handlers, but we never actually see him. Somehow he's able to do all of this without ever saying one word to somebody. Yeah, I got the impression that he could speak. I honestly wondered if maybe the actor maybe doesn't speak English. I mean... No, he's English. Oh. As I mentioned, Ashley Yenny was at the premiere, and she talked about the relationship she had with Lawrence, and she loved him. She thought that he was very witty and funny and a very charming guy, and she said that he actually, his face, when you see him, not in black and white, but in person, he looks like a little cherub. Like, he's just, like, a little angel and cute and disarming, and that there's nothing threatening at all. It's really the way that Tom Six presents him that gives him the imposing quality he has here, but that in person and you would not think of him in this way. I got to give him some props. He has no vanity in this film. He walks around for most of it in nothing but a pair of shit-stained tidy whiteies. He didn't go to the gym to work out for this role. <laughs> he has an impressively solid, very large stomach, though. It didn't jiggle. It was like a big mass. Like a tumor. Yeah. I kept thinking about the penguin. Honestly, I was kept thinking that he looks exactly like Danny DeVito did in Batman Returns, but they don't have to use any prosthetics. I think that's what's great. You know, I always talk about natural special effects. Like, they didn't use makeup on this guy. He just looks this way, and they photograph him in a way that really accentuates a freak factor that is striking and impressive, and, and hats off to Six for finding him. I now believe that this series can be carried by anyone that Six deems worthy, because he's a freak magnet. Here's two films in a row, and he's found people that it's impossible to take your eyes off of. But this guy works differently. You're right. I feel like Dieter, while a tragic figure as well, had a menace to him, and a classic evil German scientist kind of persona. This guy is yeah, much more pathetic. I don't know if that makes him sympathetic. At least it makes him unassuming. You don't think of him capable of doing this level of crimes because he's just, yeah, so small and fringe. But had the movie not started off the way it did, because we start off with him in the garage and immediately he starts shooting and beating people. But had the movie started differently, had we started with the scenes of him in his home, his crazy-ass mother, and the closest thing I could come up with was this seemed like something out of Requiem for a Dream. You know, <laughs> the weird relationships, the way she comes into the bed and decides she's going to kill him and starts stabbing, but he's not in bed, and then he comes in, sees her trying to kill him, and he just gets in bed. <laughs> I love that. That is a great moment. I do feel like the best scenes in Human Centipede actually are this interplay he has with his mother. They're wonderfully dark and funny and perverse. Had we started here and seen him, his mother hates him for standing up for himself and turning in his father. His shrink is 
coming on to him, possibly molesting him. Well, she hates herself as well. I mean, she keeps putting them both in a position where they'll die. I mean, she literally says that at one point. She keeps baiting the neighbor who plays his music too loud and is kind of a ruffian to come down and do them both in the kitchen because she just doesn't want to live anymore. It's a pretty nihilistic environment to grow up in. And yeah, this is where I'm starting to feel some sympathy for Martin. And if we'd started here and seen this caterpillar become the red dragon killer, I think that there would have been a lot of sympathy for him. Now, the way we start off, we know he's this crazed killer kidnapper. I love how he gets his warehouse. He has the landlord showing it to him that just stabs the landlord in the gut. And The assembly of the components, you know, they've established the fact that he's a super fan of Human Centipede, the original, that he actually has a journal he keeps under the bed, and not only does he have stills from the movie, and not only does he watch the movie on a continuous loop, but he has, like, uh, fan photos, you know, like, he generally kind of worships Ashlyn Yenny. Is this Tom Six's opinion of Human Centipede? Is this us? Is this how he sees us after doing a year of press for Human Centipede? Has he found that these are the people that are gravitating to his movies? I didn't know whether to be offended or not. Like I said, I've read a lot of interviews with him, and he did say in one interview that while most of his fans are generally normal people, every so often there is one that disturbs him, like one who made him a human centipede Barbie and gave it to him with no irony and thought he would just be really honored that they had gotten all these dolls ass to mouth. Mm. But his reason for doing this was he was tired of the press saying, what if one of your viewers tries to emulate this film? Now, I don't think... The Human Centipede is exactly the easiest film to emulate versus your average slasher. But the press kept asking him, and that is what gave him the idea for the sequel was, all right, let's see what would happen there. So I don't think it's how he sees us, but it's how the press who interviews him sees us. You saying that really makes sense to me, because this movie does feel reactionary. It feels thin-skinned to me. It does feel, by taking us out of the movie world that we were in and creating another layer to it, it feels like he wants to comment on all the bad press he got for Human Centipede. And you're right. It does feel like a middle finger to all the people that said it wasn't gory enough. It feels like he's attacking the people that say he's irresponsible or put something out there. It was surprising to me to see him step outside of the world he created last time rather than continue with it. Did you think it was weird that we're now in a world outside of the movie? Well, it had a been there, done that feel. My go-to reference, surprisingly, was Blair Witch Project 2, where a small little indie film then had a more popular sequel where the original film was a film. But there have been others. Wes Craven's New Nightmare we reviewed did this. Sure. Is this supposed to be reality now? Is this supposed to be where you and I live? Obviously, Human Centipede lived in a B-movie. So <laughs> is Human Centipede 2, is this reality? I think it's supposed to be. Anytime you have an actress playing herself who has starred in that movie, it, again, like New Nightmare, it's supposed to be reality. Yeah, it's an interesting choice and one that I, I didn't necessarily want it to go here. I can honestly say that. It was a disappointment to find that we weren't going to continue on within the world of Human Centipede. I, I definitely wanted to see, if not Dieter Laser, I wanted to see someone else treat that scenario that he created, that first experiment he created seriously and go about doing it within the movie world by taking it out, by making it meta. It's too self-referential. It's too much commenting on itself. Here's my biggest problem. When I say he's giving the middle finger, I feel like when you said thin-skinned, it clicked. 
Because the things he does here, he does for the sake of doing. There's so much of the grotesque that occurs here that's not in service to the plot. And as grotesque as the first movie is, and how everybody just remembers it as the surgery and those three people chained together, I felt that first movie had great character and great story. You felt for those three in the centipede. You felt their terror and their bonding, their speechless bonding through hand-holding and murmurs. And It came around to them. You hated them at first. They were thin characters at yeah. first. But you grew to sympathize with them because once you took away their ability to yammer on about nothing and, yeah, put a mask to mouth, yeah, that's bad for anyone. We bonded as other human beings would. You know, I didn't like them as people, but damn it, they're another living person and nobody deserves the way that they got treated. But is this a portrait of the contrast between what we see in horror movies and how it would really go down? My feeling is, though, it doesn't matter whether this is how it would really go down. When you have Tom Six having shit splatter on the lens and having a woman crush her newborn infant's head under a gas pedal, he is just throwing in anything he can think of to offend, but it has nothing to do with the story. The story is in service to the grotesque, not the other way around, which I feel is a reversal from the first film. At the very least, I do feel it's teenage and reactionary. It's immature. I see that as a sign of an immature filmmaker when they're more obsessed with what their critics have been saying about them than what it is they have to say. And I definitely feel like Human Centipede 2 is all in response to what he had just experienced on the press junket. It felt concocted as a reaction to what the feedback he was getting. And while that's fine and understandable, I mean, obviously you write about the things that you experience. I'd rather hear what's going on with you and what gets under your skin rather than getting back at people that lobby fair or unfair criticisms at a press junket. It just feels a little immature. I, I didn't need or want it to step it outside of itself and comment on Human Centipede as a movie. I feel like that was a mistake. Why couldn't Martin just hear about the experiment from the press, from the tabloids? Why did it have to be a real movie that he watched in loop and loop and loop? I think it's because, as you said, that Tom Six had been accused so many times of putting out a movie that could inspire violence. And so he wanted to create a fantastic, over-the-top portrayal of what someone taking his movie and using it as a inspiration could look like. As a concept, I don't mind it. I really don't. I don't mind the concept being somebody saw the first film and is in such a state that they became so deranged. It is very natural-born killers. I mean, that whole thing is about how they perceive life through media and how it makes them desensitized killers. Fine in concept, but about the midway point through this movie, I just question the execution. The first half of this movie is basically him coming into his own and kidnapping people, just random senseless beatings in the garage. And because he's trying to make a 12-segment centipede, it takes a while. I mean, there's a lot of scenes of people being crowbarred and dragged away into a van. And I love that first one because we really don't know him yet. And he just walks up and he's short. He's a tiny, tiny guy. And he's just looking up with his giant bug eyes. And he shoots the guy in the foot. And you don't see the gun. You don't expect it. And all of a sudden, boom. I think that one was really great. It was. By the time we get to numbers seven and eight, I'm a little bit less enthralled. Well, yes, yes it's same MO. What I kept thinking of this whole time was, 
his human centipede is going to be messy and bloody. And these people, maybe he's hitting them too hard. I mean, he's duct taping their wounds that he leaves that can't be good. And I'm thinking, God, this guy really doesn't know what he's doing. First of all, he's not cleaning these wounds. If he really wants to have a pet like Dr. Hyder did, he's got to take care of them. I love the fact that they've gone with the medically inaccurate version. Yes. I love the fact that it's Grimer. That, yeah, this guy doesn't know the first thing about treating gunshots or would it have killed him to get chloroform? You know, bashing people's head in as a way of sedating them and then dragging them away. Well, it kills more than one person. That's just not the way that you would do it. It's comical. It's part of the fun quote-unquote, of this movie to see the fact that now it's no longer sterile and clean, that this really is a dank, nasty little operation that's going on, being performed by someone that doesn't know anything about medicine or surgery. That said, I feel that the first movie was a horror film, but it had funny moments, right? It had some really funny moments. And I think they were intentionally funny. This film, to me, comes across as... The Three Stooges meet the human centipede. I mean, I think this movie is all slapstick humor. No portion of this movie should be taken seriously. I believe it was a comedy, a parody almost, of the human centipede. Mm-hmm. That is a good way of thinking about it. It is a self-parody. And yet, the starkness of it throws that off. I think... The fact that it is in the stark black and white, I mean, the humor is downplayed in a lot of ways by making it so dank and miserable looking. You're not immediately like laughing in this world. This doesn't look like a comedy. Let me put it that way. Maybe for like the first few minutes, but the moment he shoots the guy in the foot, I was laughing. It is funny the way that Martin plays it, his body language, his facial expressions, his little smiles, the way that he runs with glee to his pet centipede, not the human one, but the real one. His casting, his performance, as directed by Six, I assume, makes this whole film a comedy. A very bleak, gory one. And and let's look at some of the other characters. His therapist? Off the hook funny. I mean, the way he's, like, looking at Martin's ass, going, "Mm, mm," and rubbing his giant beard, it was amusing. And he's getting a blowjob from a hooker and literally says, I'd rather have fucked that little retard, but this'll do. It's intended to be funny whether or not you find it funny is a different question but yeah i've got i'm gonna weigh in on that one and say wasn't laughing about the therapist it felt too on the nose in its criticism oh here's someone that over intellectualizes things and he's the one that decides and determines what's driving this killer to do something i think that six has been tired of being personally assessed by his film critics that have tried to say what kind of sick mind would come up with this it's not unlike when rob zombie put a film critic in one of those firefly family movies just so he could kill them Mm -hmm. but yeah i do think that this is supposed to be a comedy and when he finally rebels against his mother and bashes her head clean through and then sets her up at the dinner table yeah, the the mom stuff definitely is the best comedy. I do feel like those are the best scenes, is the stuff with him and his mom. And that was the part I found I was laughing. A lot of these kidnapping moments, I wasn't laughing. I was sort of just had a strange expression on my face. I'll be honest, after a while, it got a little boring. Yeah, I guess I would think tedious. I do wonder, was there a scene cut out? Because there's the one scene where the two women come down, and he's masturbating with the sandpaper. Yeah, two club girls are there to pick up their car, and one of them spies him through the glass at work, watching Human Centipede and getting off on it. Yes, with sandpaper. 
<laughs> that is cut. That is something that was cut. Genital mutilation, apparently you cannot show that in a theater. And so all of the scenes that directly involve the shots of his penis sustaining injury have been removed. But there's some here and there's some at the end I'll talk about. So that was cut because they're just saying there's a little man wanking it with sandpaper and then we jump cut to them being knocked out naked on the ground. I didn't know if that was an artistic thing or if there was some cut material there. No, I, I do think it became a joke. At that. At a certain point, he knows that we know what's going to happen. He has to get 12 people there. So it's, it becomes its own kind of parody. That someone yells up at the security camera that, I don't know, they want their car or they want to see the attendant. Next thing we know, they're lying in the warehouse duct tape. You know, like they have to shorten this because God knows we don't need to see every bit of every kidnapping of all 12 of these people. And here's where I again felt to some degree we were back in Hannibal Lecter land because most of these people are terrible people who deserve some kind of retribution, right? I mean, you get the neighbor upstairs tattooed, threatening to kill Martin and his mother, and he becomes part of the centipede. And you get that shrink who he's so ghastly and the mother are so ghastly, they can't even be part of the centipede. Martin has to kill them. That beard would get in the way. <laughs> or add to the comedy. You could add some matted shit in it. I think the hooker and the person he was with in the car do get added. Yes, they, they do. You're right. Most of these people are morally suspect. I don't know that everyone I felt like deserves death. The club girls, maybe they're just obnoxious. But yeah, the ugliness of human behavior is exaggerated in all of these victims, with the exception of the black couple that have their child. They're that's clearly there just to get a rise out of us. And the fact that he leaves the child unattended in a locked car and walks by hearing it cry for the rest of the movie. It's kind of a running joke. It becomes comedy at that point. But when they're abducted, we're feeling really bad. And of course, he's got there lying there. We never see her abduction. But early on, lying there, he's got a pregnant woman. I wasn't sure if that was like the woman from that couple. It is. Okay, I thought it was. They had one child and she was pregnant with a second. Yes. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, huh. And they were a they... mixed couple, guys. Oh, you're right. Okay. When they were abducting her, I wondered how the stomach would work with the centipede. What happens when she gives birth? That would mm. be not pleasant for the person behind her. So how do you guys feel about the fact that not only is Seaman Centipede a movie within this movie, but that he decides that he needs a star at the head of this thing, and they drag back the real Ashley Yenny to play herself to take the headpiece this time. She was at the end of the first movie. Well, she's graduated. I think that's great because it really ties in his obsession with the movie and the fact that he wants to make this centipede, which if you look, you know, his life really sucks and he loves his pet centipede. So he wants to make a real pet centipede out of it. But the head is something he really loves. And I think that like Dr. Hyder, he really wanted to take care of it. It's going to be his pet, all these wonderful things. However, he lacks the intelligence and resources to have a good execution of this full sequence centipede. And I think it really shows Martin's obsession and his affection yeah, because he's kind of got a romantic thing with her, right? A lot of the pictures in his little human centipede scrapbook were of her. Yeah, they were more of her than the Japanese guy, that's for sure. And he definitely kind of lingers with a licked finger on, on some of those photos. Every time he did that, that was what was creepy. Is like you just got that whole like creepy molester vibe off him. Yeah. Actually, Yenny said the day that they met, he brought her a candy bar, and he, she was like, isn't that what you do to children you want to abduct in a car? <laughs> she said he definitely played with that, but that he was actually a very sweet man. Yeah, I like that, and I like that he gave her the headpiece, you know? like Well, it wasn't fair that she was the back. 
Yeah, but again, I kind of got that molester rapist. He was sexualizing the centipede. Yes. He was masturbating to the centipede. Eventually, he fucks the centipede. And even though he's fucking person number 12 and she's person or number well, 10. it was number 10. I feel cheated because it was only 10 people, not 12. <laughs> yes. You were promised a full sequence. I was promised the full sequence. But it's like when you go to McDonald's and you get eight McNuggets instead of the 10 piece. Exactly. But... In the, his mind, I think he was fucking her because she was the head. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with that. The sexual obsession with her was her, but because, you know, the therapist makes a comment in there, because he was molested as a child, the mutilation, all of that, you know, it, it's a dime store psychology assessment of things. But yeah, I think you're right. I think that's what we're expected to understand. This is a story about a sick psycho fanboy who really is just wanting to get Ashley Yinney in the way that he wants to have her is the way that he saw her in the movie. You know, most of the times you fall in love with a beautiful matinee idol they're not in such a degrading film but here because her one claim to fame is human centipede he's got to have her with 11 other people attached i gotta say i felt really bad in the moment where she's finally put at the head of it and is crawling in all fours towards the whatever's in that dinner bowl it was soup i i first yeah. thought it was dog food but I then later caught the can label. It was soup. Yeah, it was soup. Someone in the audience actually yelled out, Hey, I'm a fucking star. And I just felt so <laughs> bad. I looked over at the mom and the grandma and they just kind of shrugged it off. But it was like, yeah, on one hand, they're here to see their baby girl in the big movie. And the other hand, she's crawling on all fours. Naked. It really, it would be like taking your mom to the premiere of your new porno. It's, it's torture <laughs> porn, but it's still porn. And I felt bad because the audience was just mocking her for for having no dignity i do love her scene though where she's driving in the car to her own demise and she's just prattling on and on about the making of the human set of pete about how they all showered first it's, it's the questions i really wanted to know mm-hmm. tom six finds a way to get us that information through the story I also think it's rather clever that she thinks that she's auditioning for Tarantino, which would be the next logical step. That would be her trading up, you know, like here's a guy that would still put her in exploitation movies, but he's an artist, you know, he's an Oscar winner. So, of course, that, that's attainable for her. And, and Tarantino actually was at the screening uh, I attended and appeared to be loving it uh, of the original movie. So that was a nice meta call out. And sometimes I felt the meta stuff was heavy handed. That one was cute. But then she gets her tongue ripped out for talking back. I felt bad for her at that point. That was perhaps the one thing, you know, when he's stapling them. That's hysterical. I love that he used household tools. And when he's gathering them, I'm like, a meat cleaver, a hammer. What will he use these for? The pliers. I just couldn't see how these would be helpful in the assembling of the centipede. But everyone gets their moment. Yes. It's like watching someone make bad fanboy art. It is like someone that doesn't have the tools to do it right, winging it. And one of the biggest jolts, I think, of the movie for me is when he takes that first dude and just very methodically knocks out all of his teeth. Tooth by tooth, we watch him just hammer it out. But not in like a over-the-top way. He doesn't swing it like he's, you know, going to crush the guy. He's just like... Thump, 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 thump. I mean, there's something very workmanlike and novice about it all. Well, he'd been drawing pictures and studying mm-hmm. the movie, so he knew what to do. And he knows the movie better than I do. I forgot that they had to remove the teeth from mm-hmm. the mouth. And the teeth thing, you know, dentistry, all the way back to Marathon Man, that's a bad thing. And I did find myself, during that scene, I suddenly realized my hand had covered my mouth subconsciously. I had 
covered my own mouth to protect my teeth from the scene. Yeah, a lot of people looking away, including mom at that scene. <laughs> it was the sound of it, though. The thud of the teeth and the hammer. Yeah, I agree. The Foley work in this film is fucking amazing. All the squishing, all the crunching, every sound in this film sells everything. But you had to do that because it was in black and white, and you don't have the detail you do in color. Like when he's cutting the guy's ass cheeks... You can see it's flappy and everything, but you don't get the meat picture, you know? So you needed that squishing and flappy sound to really drive it home. And it was a full sensual experience. I feel like the biggest squeamish jolt, actually, that happened was when he was going for the kneecaps. I literally (laughs) felt everyone in the theater pulling back. When he's pulling up the nerves from the knee, from the patella, he's peeled it back and is just snipping it. We know it's fake. It's not about whether it looks real or not. There's just something awful about the fact of thinking about someone holding your real nerve and then just snipping it in half. With kitchen scissors. Oh, He's cutting the tendons, not the nerves. So they can't straighten. Remember Dr. Hyder cut their knees so they couldn't stand up and they only could kneel. Right. And... I love that, yeah, the crowbar was his anesthetic. He walks around and it's like whack-a-mole. He knocks all 12 out. And then he cuts their knees and just the looks on their faces. Did he not do that for the pregnant woman? Because she eventually gets up and runs. But I guess he wrote her off as dead early and didn't do all these surgeries. Yes. She did not get anything done to her because he went to go work on her and she was dead. Or she played dead pretty effectively. I, I think she was out cold. I yeah. think she was doing pretty badly there. Yeah, I thought that he thought he killed her with the anesthetic crowbar. Mm-hmm. He's not a, a trained medical professional, clearly. No. So, yeah, he didn't have the uh, tools to assess whether they were alive or dead. I, you know, he didn't have a stethoscope. I love that. <laughs> That's all you need to be a doctor. I love that he was just using a Sharpie to draw on the ass, and then he's just cutting with whatever he can find, and of course it bleeds out. The crudity by which he starts it out of being like, I'll just cut the ass off, and then like, nope, that kills them. I guess I'll have to get the staple gun. <laughs> and then <laughs> he cries. You feel bad for him. His pet died. It's like he's really upset that this happens. It's It's such a weird moment when he weeps over the death of that man. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, the, when he gets the staple gun out, again, I tell you, this movie is a comedy. It's slapstick. He is stapling people's lips to the next person's asses. This wouldn't even work. No. no. Uh, yeah, he didn't, like, cut their face in the gruesome. There's not he enough just, lip. No. <laughs> and his staple work was all haphazard and it was just all different and i don't even know that those staples would work very well it can't get the underneath like you need any season the thin staples it was crazy comedy in the history of reanimator and the thing and all of these movies where you just take body parts and do wrong things with them but it's funny yeah, I agree with you, and I'm having a mixed reaction to this. On one hand, I'm appreciating that there's comedy back in the movie. I had not been laughing for the first half of it, for the most part. Other than the mom scenes, I felt like it had kind of gotten into a strange lull where it was neither funny nor scary. But yeah, once he's assembling the centipede, it really is going there, and it's become, as you say, a Marx Brothers movie. But I feel that's a little sad, too, because the first human centipede, there's something about the body modification that was smart and just got to you in a way that creeped inside your head. It felt Cronenberg. You know, Cronenberg's work is all about how the body is 
transformed by modern technology, by machines or what have you, into looking different. And I felt like he could have gone with a smarter way of assembling the centipede. But by going this way, it, you're right. It has become a total farce at this point. It is a crude, scatological comedy. Also, I'm finding myself at this point just thinking this movie wasn't as good as the first one because as a comedy, the only character in this whole film that we are given to try to relate to is Martin and to some little bit Ashlyn. Yeah. We keep seeing scenes from the first film throughout. And, you know, it's always a mistake when you reference a superior film in your inferior one. And Tom Six makes that own mistake by showing us scenes of his original. And I'm reminded how those three I did feel for when they're gripping each other's hands and they're having that moment. Here we have a much larger centipede and I don't give a shit, no pun intended, about any of them. And they're all just grotesques who, even the ones who aren't, I don't know anything about. And so you don't feel as bad. They're dehumanized. Again, that helps with the comedy because you don't want tragedy in your comedy. But by the same token, here I feel like I should be feeling worse for these subjects than I am. And instead, I'm just like, it's funny and these people i don't give a shit about and that makes this an inferior film i also thought it was weird that okay actually Nini is now the head of the centipede well in the first one by having the japanese guy as the head of the centipede we didn't know what he was saying we didn't understand him because we didn't speak japanese and they weren't relating to him for that reason i don't know why she is not talking to martin obviously when he gets her tongue out she can't speak anymore but even prior to that she's not speaking she's not screaming she's not baiting him or trying to talk nice to him and save herself right i mean there's no dialogue there was an opportunity to expand his obsession of her and her trying to figure it out i mean i would have something to say in her situation that's all i'm saying but she mostly just kind of is frowning and it was a strange choice maybe she can't act i think there was a little bit of that but she did get hit in the head twice with a crowbar okay fair enough you know, I mean, honestly, because I kept thinking when they kept showing the naked people duct taped together in the little storage warehouse thing, the pregnant woman wasn't duct taped at all. But she did have that nasty neck wound. But why couldn't no, she? She was duct taped when she was laying on the floor. He cut off the duct tape to perform the surgery. But her hands weren't. No, because she laid the whole time holding her belly and holding oh. her neck, like in some kind of weird painting. So why couldn't someone else have crawled over to her or her use her hands to unduct tape their legs and feet? The guy, one of the guys, I don't remember which one. They, again, they become indistinguishable, these centipede segments. He gets the duct tape off his mouth and he's screaming, it's a fucking movie. He's going to staple us all ass to mouth. Once you can talk, can't you be like, hey, you wriggle your way over here. Let's get back to back and try to escape. Mm -hmm. Those were some of the best parts of the first Human Centipede film were the escape attempts. Here, there's really none of that until the centipede breaks in half. But it seems like what he really wants is to feed her. There was no line in this movie as good as Dieter Lasers feed her. No, in fact, you use that all the time. <laughs> I do. People in the audience were shouting it throughout the whole movie. I think they were disappointed not to get a call back. And so he... <laughs> gives her the soup he rips out her tongue he force feeds her the soup with the funnel and then he starts making the farting sounds and massaging their bellies his fart symphony <laughs> when he's standing there directing it and just making the fart sounds it's hilarious 
we thought of him as a little child from the get-go because he still lives with his mother and he just his size, his pint size, and all of that. But yeah, when he's using his tongue to make that <laughs> sound, it just he totally looks like a kid in a candy store. And it just doesn't come fast enough for him, and so he gets the laxative, and it's not enough to inject it just in Ashland the head and let the dominoes occur. But everyone gets the injection. Yeah. And and here's another reason why I, you finally understand maybe this is in black and white and not color. They they can do the Schindler's List thing. When the excrement comes, it is the only thing in color. It's actually brown. They've colorized it like the girl in the little red hoodie in Schindler's List. Yes, there I is, was thinking Schindler's List at this moment, too. Yeah, they definitely, they definitely wanted to accentuate what you were watching. Just in case you were thinking maybe it wasn't what you were looking at, they've made it brown. But what I think is hilarious is at this moment, you have 10 people shitting massively. It's explosive diarrhea, and he's enjoying it up until the point it starts to smell really bad. Like, what did he think? I'm wondering, is there a drain in the warehouse? Can he hose it down? And I'm wondering, this is the point where he starts, like you see in his face, he's thinking this isn't such a great idea because they do have to have bodily functions. And yeah, poop's smelly. And you just had 10 people massively shit all over. And it splashed on the lens, not once, but twice. And then, of course... Yeah, it gets to the 10th person, and it projectiles yards away and hits the wall. And it's overflowing the mouths. And then he vomits. And that's where I was like, got queasy, was I can't stand people vomiting. I don't like to vomit myself. But I got to say, this scene, I don't know if it was him vomiting. I don't know if it was the diarrhea. I don't know if it was the popcorn we ate at the movie. (laughs) But I felt a little nauseous. I really had a <laughs> physical reaction to this. So he did. He finally got you guys. I'm glad because you guys were sure uh, disappointed that that you didn't get that moment in the last movie. I don't like vomiting. I'm sorry. It's just, oh. Here's the thing is I wasn't like that. Nothing I was seeing was repulsing me, but yet my physical reaction was different than my mental for some reason. It was a disconnect. I mean, it may have been the popcorn. Yeah, I'm sure it was the popcorn. <laughs> Then we get a jump cut, and we see him lovingly caressing segment 10. Now, did you guys know what was going on there? I read an interview with Tom Six, and I, I think I know what was going on there. Well, it's told by Ashlyn Yenny at the premiere that she says that this is going to be on the DVD, that people that see it on DVD will see what he intended. He took barbed wire, wrapped it around his penis, much like the sandpaper earlier. He can't experience ejaculation without hurting his member, and that with said member wrapped, he proceeded to sodomize the 10-segment centipede. I knew going in, I again, I was spoiler-free, but what I knew was if there was barbed wire rape, and I did not know the context, but if there was barbed wire rape, we were seeing the full uncut video, but that in some slash all theaters in America, that scene was cut. And so when this came, it's caught me out of the blue. Like, why is he just cuddling it? But... Part of me realized, okay, he's raping it right now. It's hard to really know. I, when I was watching the film, I didn't necessarily think that. I could have believed that he was just hugging it because we've never seen him. I don't know. Well, we didn't see the member. You know, they've teased it with the, with the underwear and all of that but and the sandpaper, but we haven't seen him erect. I didn't know whether he was erect at this moment or not. I assume because it, it goes on for a while, and I'm just I'm not sure what I'm seeing. Yeah. But then I think it becomes clear because... At this point, the pregnant woman gets up and runs out, and he doesn't even notice at first because he's too distracted with his 
rape. My question for you is when the pregnant woman gets up and is running away and getting to the car, how did you experience that? I, I hate to confess this. I didn't want her to get away. For some reason, my alliances have been put with Martin, and I did not want her to get away. I wanted her to get be put, attached to that centipede. I can't say I felt that. At that point in the movie, again, I didn't think we were given any way to relate to any of these characters in the film. They were all objectified except for Martin. And yes. so I watched it completely dispassionately. It was, will she get away? I really don't know. I didn't care one way or the other. Yeah, you don't feel for these people. Yeah, I was surprised she actually got away. I was expecting him to, you know, do the horror movie thing where he busts the window. Or maybe, when he went to the back door, I thought maybe the back door wasn't locked when he tried to get in the car. But I think that he did a very clever thing there, Tom Six did, by showing she got away. The, who left the key in the car? I don't know who did that. Oh, I guess it was the landlord's. Yeah, the landlord's Mercedes. But not was, Quentin Tarantino's. No, not Quentin Tarantino's Mercedes. It shows how inept Martin really is because he didn't realize the key was in the car. He thought she was dead and she got away. She's in the car with the doors locked trying to start the car and he doesn't have the strength intelligence to try to bust the window with an implement to get her. He didn't have his gun on him. And she manages to get away. And he made the very critical error of walking in front of her car while she's trying to start that. I was thinking she was going to floor it and crash him into the building and kill him, but she ends up getting away and we never ever see any more of that. Well, this is very close to the end of the film, yeah. so we don't know where it would go. Yeah, and let's face it, like they find the most outrageous solution to this scenario. It would have been very rote for him to break the glass and get her out of there and then they would have had to pay for that car they probably were renting for this production. Oh, come on. It was probably someone's car. It was probably the cast member or somebody in the production. Maybe not. Maybe not. It's a Mercedes, dear. Yeah, but they're very common over there. Sure. But they found the most outrageous way to handle her escape. It was the one way you would not conclude her getting out of there. But the fact that in order to escape, she gives birth in the car. First of all, that was really gross to have her point of view shot looking down and seeing the baby falling out of her. Yep. Again, Tom Six, he's doing everything he can to offend. I was taken back to that health class where I had to watch a birth. Ew. Oh, my God. Ugh, gives me the willies. Yeah, th that real-life birth video they showed in ninth-grade health class was far worse than either human centipede film. But here it is, brought back, bringing back that memory, and then she crushes the baby's head with the gas pedal. <laughs> I, I'm revealing how much of a sicko I am, but I loved it. And the audience in L.A. loved it. We all cheered. We thought it was incredible. It's not because we want, obviously, in real life to watch babies be executed in front of us, but because he went there. The movie yeah. has finally achieved that level of outrageousness where anything goes and there are no sacred cows. And that's what it took for her to get away. If she wanted to escape this horror predicament, which no one has to this point. It should be pointed out. Anyone in the first movie and any of these other people, uh, the only escape was by costing another life. I felt like that was the way to go. That said, again, I just didn't feel it was in service to story. It took me so out. It's the only act of cruelty not done by Martin. Yeah, but it's it not even an act of cruelty. She doesn't do it out of cruelty. She does it out of panic. You know, it's... Well, I, I use cruelty to describe how awful it would be yeah. to do that. But it, it's the only act of violence not committed by Martin or Dieter Laser in this series. This seems like the one step people may be fine with the diarrhea shit flying everywhere and with the sandpaper and even 
you know, we, we need to talk about the barbed wire rape that was cut from our version. But this scene seems like the one where people will be like, oh, no, you did not. And that's why it took me out is it's like he did it just to do the things people think he wouldn't do rather than doing things that were in service to story. But Arnie, this story is in service of shock. I mean, I think that you're kidding yourself if you think that Human Centipede was about anything other than getting under our skin. I mean, it's these quote-unquote stories exist to do this very thing, and it's why we are there. We are not there for thoughtful drama. No, but the first film, with the police investigating and the escape attempts, I actually was really drawn in and connecting to the characters. But here, it felt not as artfully done. There it was hand in hand or ass in mouth. There's too many. I think if you're going to have 12 characters trying to escape, you're never going to relate to them in that way. They become a mass of people. They are dehumanized at that point. A crowd is not sympathetic. Well, and I think it goes all the way back to The Last House on the Left and possibly even further than that. But there's horror movies and horror directors that always have to try to top it out. It's great publicity for the movie. I mean, look what it did for the human centipede, the first one. The fact that it was a human centipede and people are like, oh, my God, it's so depraved. Everyone knows about it. And this is part of pop culture that so many people even haven't seen, but they know about it because of its shock value. So you raise that shock value. You've got instant publicity for your movie. you got people talking about your movie. And now you're known as the guy who did this and you've raised the bar for people to top you. So after she escapes, he goes back in and starts to kill the centipede. Well, they split. Yeah, Yeah, the centipede is broken in half. And all is lost, really. They're trying to escape. They're being active, much like in the first movie. They're getting away. So I guess he feels like he has to put them down like they were in the last movie. There's no cops that arrive. It's not like the pregnant woman brings the the fuzz. But he just, I guess, is disciplining them and reducing the segments. It just, it caught me out of the blue. I would have thought because of the way he reacted when the two died unexpectedly that he would have attempted to reattach or something. It just, it seemed a very abrupt ending to this film. But of course, we get the fight with Ashlyn. I actually thought she might escape. I really did. I did too. It seemed like the right choice, particularly since it's quote unquote, the real Ashlyn. By killing her, you're killing a a real person, quote unquote. That seems weird. But yeah, no, she cannot survive a movie, apparently. This was her Laurie Strode moment. It failed miserably. Yeah. She shoves the funnel up his ass and lets the centipede go to work, which was... The real centipede. Yeah. I don't think we've made it clear enough that he's kept in a a glass jar in his living room uh, a real centipede that he feeds periodically. And it was feeding on his own intestine, and it made me think that might kill him. I mean, the centipede's been shown to be quite harmful. Oh, I definitely assumed he was dead. Didn't you? No, I didn't think he was dead. I kept expecting... Somehow this to unravel even further because, again, poorly executed plan and all. Uh, I don't know how the Bobbies are over there. I'd assume that the Bobbies could solve a crime. It did take them a long time to jack the Ripper, though. Well, especially so. with a naked woman with a dead fetus yeah. driving to the station saying it's at this warehouse. Yeah, you would think, but... It's the guy in the parking garage where my car still is. Yeah, The exactly. parking garage with the screaming child. Do, does nobody else work at this garage? Apparently not. No, and... I thought we'd see more. I thought we'd see him either killed by the centipede up his ass or maybe injecting himself with the laxative and we'd get to see him shitting out the centipede. He does have a pooping problem because one of the first scenes with his mother, she walks in and says, it stinks in here. Did you shit the bed again? But then we jump cut and he's back in the garage 
watching the human centipede again. With the weird fingers in the mouth thing. I think Tom Six has problems with his endings. You know, and he's thinking about how he can shock you. He's not thinking about crafting a story. So when he realizes he has to wrap it all up and he's gross as much as he can, both movies feel like they just sort of stop. They don't feel like they have satisfying endings. What, it was all a movie? It was all in his head? Is that what we're to presume? No, no. I took it as he was back in the garage, possibly looking for more victims. I mean, you hear the kid crying. The kid's still in the car. No, no. I, I took it to mean that these are things that are irritating in his life, like the kid's crying and all of that, and that he's had a fantasy. Oh, no, that's not how I took it at all. No, I took it that he just went back to his mundane life watching the movie. He couldn't have. He had a centipede up his ass. There was blood everywhere. No, that's impossible. A centipede up your ass may or may not kill you. I took it as he'd gone back to work and maybe was looking for new victims. Yeah, I just really, I didn't take it as it was a fantasy. I took it as he did that. Now he's back. I imagine that the centipede couldn't last very long up there anyway. Yeah, I mean, people get gerbils up there all the time and live. So... (laughs) All, all the, the time. All the time. <laughs> if, if I have to trust the stories I hear about emergency rooms. I have one right now. I'm doing the hamster dance. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the kid crying to me is the tell that it was real. I do not see how it could be thought of as a fantasy because that same kid is issuing that same cry that he's issued during the sandpaper masturbation and all the other garage scenes since the pregnant lady was abducted. I just take it to mean that there was no abductions ever, that he was just an impotent man who has all of these annoying people he sees coming and getting their cars all the time, kids crying all the time, all all of this going on, and he is just having a family. I felt like it was Tom Six saying, it's just a movie, and this is just a sick fantasy. In the end of the day, no one can actualize and actually do the things that I'm proposing in this movie. I felt like it was him making the final statement about that. This is blowing my mind. Walking out of there, I never thought we'd be having the total recall conversation about Human Centipede 2. <laughs> total recall happened. <laughs> See? So did Human Centipede 2. Why uh, is that even a discussion? It's not, it did not happen. It did! <laughs> we'll discuss this when they do the remake, maybe. I think it completely happened. He's sitting there. He's still got the white lab coat on that he wore to be like Dieter. Sure. He's a fanboy. But at the end of the day, he can't do shit. At the end of the day, he is not capable of doing any of these things. I think it would have helped make that point if it had been in color. I think uh, that would have been a stronger way to finally have a scene of him in real color and not in that the black and white was his fantasy. But I definitely did not think that he had somehow survived all of this, cleaned it up, gotten away and continued to work at his day job. I don't think he cleaned it up. That child would have been dead, by the way. I mean, it ne- he never feeds these people actual nourishment, you know? Yeah, we saw that. But I, here's the question. How long did the movie span? Do you have any idea? I do not. Well, yeah, it had to have been several days. We only see two definite sequences of night, maybe three, I think. Maybe yeah, three. It had to be a couple days because there was the phone call saying that Ashlyn was going to fly in. Yeah, and- yeah. She had to get there to London, and she wasn't there when he was starting those abductions. And that child was one of the first victims. But assuming it wasn't really hot and the child wasn't going to cook in the car, he was in the shade, he'd just have to starve or dehydrate. Crying would be a possibility. Here's the thing is if it was a fantasy, wouldn't it have ended better for him? Nobody fantasizes about their own failures. Or is this maybe all he knows if you're going this route where you think it was his fantasy is all this guy knows is how to fail and to screw up. And so that's why it fell apart even in his own head. 
Hey, credits roll. At the end of the day, a fantasy comes to an end, and yeah, he has to be pulled back into his real life. I mean, I don't feel like this ending is strong. Anyway, you slice it. If you say that it's really happened and he just went back to doing it more, that also sucks. But I think that this is my reading of the film, Walking Out, was that it was an impotent fantasy of what he wishes he could do but knows he can't. But I guess that boils down to Marjorie Stewart. Do you recommend Human Centipede 2? Full sequence, Marjorie? Oh, yeah. Lawrence Harvey. The fact that he was a leading man, he's never been in a movie before or anything, no TV show. He is literally unknown. His wordless performance is truly amazing. And he did a really great job. I mean, the most of his vocalization is making fart sounds and crying. And it's great. On the other hand, the gore is tremendous. It is just way out there. It's over the top. If you want to be shocked by a movie, you want to see this. Yes, there is a newborn baby killed it is very brief if that kind of thing bothers you you might want to stay away but i recommend it it's good i highly recommend the first one this one i like it it wasn't a bad movie it wasn't horrible i'd probably watch it again with the cut scene so i can get the full aspect of the movie but yeah i recommend it Stuart. well it's disappointing that tom six has to kowtow to his critics and this felt very much like i said before of someone who would rather have an argument with his critics than continue to to make what originally had inspired him. I I feel like it's thin-skinned. I feel like it is trying too hard. And I don't feel, now that we've normalized to the concept, it's nearly as shocking. Even though it's far more graphic, I don't feel nearly as repulsed and shocked. I do feel like, yeah, for torture porn fans, there is still some stuff here. I'm going to give the mildest of recommends, mostly, yeah, for Martin. I actually feel like because he matches Dieter Laser and because he has his own thing. He he didn't ape laser. He has his own way of approaching the character. It's, dare I say, Chaplin-esque. Something about the black and white it's silent performance in the comedy. I felt like he was almost like a Buster Keaton. But that's the reason I recommend the movie. I don't think it's particularly a great movie. I do hope in the sequel that Tom Six can be less concerned with what people are saying about him and have more to say. I, as I am speaking right now, I'm not entirely sure if I'm going to recommend this or not, because despite what you said earlier, Stuart, about how we're not here for great story and things, I don't just want to see grotesque for grotesque's sake. And while that may draw me in the, ooh, can you shock me? In the end, I'll walk out and I'd be like, well, yes, it shocked me or yes, it didn't. But I can't recommend a movie just because it's going to shock you. I need something more there. The Human Centipede, the first one, gave me a lot more. It gave me... Standard horror cliches with a completely new take, a completely gross yet funny way of doing it, and characters that I came to empathize with. And here, I'm torn because like Marjorie said, I believe Martin's performance is really great. I think that this guy, I mean, again, he will never work as anything unless we're doing a remake of Dracula and need a perfect Renfield. But beyond that, he just is so good in this and so brave it's a brave performance to do the things he does and i you just watch it you're I, I was dumbfounded that this is a man who eventually has to go home and has to face people having done this but the movie did amuse me but by the same token i was very disappointed in it i just wasn't as taken with it as i was the first one it had moments all of the martins be it the staple gun the poop symphony but 
overall, I felt this was a much weaker movie, and so I'm I'm just on the fence. And I was really scared I might be this might be three no recommends, and I really didn't want people to think that we were so offended by the content that we couldn't deal with it, and so we just went no and dismissed it out of hand. I do want to judge this as a movie with everything taken in. I'm going to come down just ever so slightly on the side of recommend because I want to see it again. I want to see the cut scenes. I want to see Tom Six's full vision. So the fact that I'm still interested enough to see it and will watch this movie again, yeah, I recommend it. It's a conditional recommend. It's not as strong a film as the first one, and it's far more gross for the sake of grossness. It's about as smart at times as getting slime dumped on your head, and you can't do that on television, only with shit. But there is stuff to be enjoyed here. So, yes, I guess it's three recommends for the second (laughs) sequence. (laughs) Well, you know, I think we're all in agreement. It's Martin that puts it over the edge. And I think we're all in agreement. It's a come down from the last film. The the original film had novelty. This one, it's starting to get old. You're seeing them go to more extremes to try and make the concept fresh. But it's starting to get stale. I'm not really sure what they could assemble in a third movie that would make it worthwhile. I don't know what he's thinking. I know that Tom Six has said this much, that he actually sees a romantic, quote-unquote, happy ending to it at last. And I don't know what that could mean. Would you have been more satisfied if Dr. Hyder was found out to not be dead? He survived? No, I want to make clear. I like Martin. Martin's the only reason I'm recommending it. No, I'm not holding on to Dieter. I love Dieter. I like the fact that maybe in every movie we get a new fascinating freak. I think that that's a nice hook, that I can't wait to see who he's going to cast for the next one, and, and that probably it will live or die by how I feel about the new villain. And no, I didn't miss Laser either. I really thought we'd never be able to match his greatness. And with Martin, we did. Martin is also my selling point on this film. Do you guys see a future for Martin other than maybe making special signing appearances at horror conventions? Yeah, you know, every time that you write off somebody, is like, this is all that they can do. They can surprise you. I never thought that the, the child molester in happiness would ever work again, but he, <laughs> he appears in everything now. And He had a sitcom called The Stupids. Exactly. So there you go. Sure, I don't know if this guy can act. That's the real fact of the matter is I don't know that this guy has much range. It won't be because he's been in this movie if he doesn't work again. But sure, he could be in some BBC comedy doing pratfalls. I mean, it's kind of a comic performance. It's possible, but this is his moment. As far as I can tell, I probably won't ever think of him as any other way. What I'm curious about is this is all that Tom Six can do. You know, I, I see that there is talent here. I, I feel like too many people are quick to condemn him as a shock artist, but I believe that he really came up with an idea that really caught the world's imagination, for better or for worse. But the question is, is he a one-trick pony? Can he do something else? I know he's going to do Human Centipede 3, but then what? Does he have other good ideas? Will he do more horror movies? Will he just do more schlock horror movies? Will he mature and have the career of a David Cronenberg? Or is he just uh, Eli Roth or whoever makes Saw movies? Well, he's done three other films, so you could go back and find them and let mm. us know on the Facebook page. That's true. He's done I Love Dries, Honeys, and Gay in Amsterdam. <laughs> are these notable, reputable films, or are these things that I would need to uh, pull back a curtain in order to see and pay, put a 25 cents into a machine? Yeah. 
I don't know. <laughs> I'm talking about his future career, whatever he's done in the past. I really wonder if he can do anything more than aspire to shock. And this movie didn't convince me that he can. I, I felt like the first movie, I saw the promise of a new horror voice. But this movie, mm, maybe he's wearing out his welcome. It's funny because I compared this to Blair Witch Project 2. Isn't that exactly what happened with Blair Witch Project? Is the first one, everybody thought there was this new horror franchise and a new future for horror. and then second one came out and we're like ah we're done wasn't the same directors but yeah they didn't work again but they tried the other effect believe it or not they wanted to do a romantic comedy with david hasselhoff i think it might have even gotten shot but it didn't get released all right well Stuart marjorie thank you for joining me for this full sequence and don't forget we are doing this bonus podcast basically as a podcast-a-thon because I don't spend enough time recording, editing, and watching movies for now playing. We had to do one more just as a way to drive home. We need your money. Yes, <laughs> we do. <laughs> Four hours round trip in a car to go see the Human Centipede because that's the closest place it was playing. And really, it's just trying to get a good push for our donation drive, which ends October 31st. I mentioned earlier, bonus podcast for The Exorcist and the thing but these are donations these prices are minimums if you are in a great situation where you can give more and help support the show it's so appreciated by us we always try to give back to those who give to us and we do with the final destination bonus podcast this bonus podcast it takes a lot of work to make a podcast we don't just go watch a movie for the hell of it and then record for an hour and boom it's done a lot of work goes into this. And the bonus podcasts are just our way of saying thank you. They are limited time. They will go back in the vault and not be available. But our donation button's always on the homepage. So you can donate to us year-round. If you can't donate by October 31st, but you could, you know, with some Christmas money you get, we would appreciate that then, too. No bonus podcast, but we do need your support in order to keep making this show at all. Yeah, don't just think about what you've already received. Think about what we're trying to tackle. And when we look at next summer, can we do Alien, Spider-Man, and Batman, and all of the franchises that are coming out? I mean, uh, there are limits to it. And your donations give us the inspiration and the ability to pay for the technology to meet the high demand of the shows you guys say you want us to do on, on Facebook and the forums. So thank you very much. We hope you've enjoyed the show, assuming you've listened this far. <laughs> yeah, we could have done, picked a better project to reach a wider audience, Ernie. <laughs> I think that this is a strange, strange PBS message um, covered in shit. But <laughs> By the same token, it allows us to go outside of our norms a little bit and do one-offs that we do from time to time. And films that may not be covered as widely. Yeah, I'm always grateful to be doing the smaller films, and I hope that people are appreciating it. Well, so what's next? We will be back on Tuesday with the next Hannibal film. Thanks for listening. And until next time. <laughs> <laughs> Now playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2011, all rights reserved. <laughs> it didn't have. It didn't have. It all comes same. back to number two, doesn't it? Yeah, number. <laughs> <laughs>
the same friend who I subjected to Green Lantern and Transformers, I'm now subjecting to Human Centipede. <laughs> well, see, this works out really well because this means on the now playing movies, I don't have to see. I've got someone else I can tag in. So in <laughs> in all three movies, there's been shit on the screen. Yes. And I recommended Green Lantern. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I would still rather watch something that I, fa- I still find the movie like that way more offensive than Human Centipede 2, but. <laughs> <laughs> Rough looking guys. And there were some there. You mean like bikers? Or do you mean like punks? I'm like, confused. Or kind we- of punk. Okay. Not bikers. I didn't really think bikers would see this. Okay, I was confused at what you were saying. I thought you were like, I was imagining Dog the Bounty Hunter. <laughs> what the Sons talking. of Anarchy. Yeah, yeah no. I, I, you're right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing every time you say number two. The deuce is loose. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what happens when she gives birth? That would mm. be not pleasant for the person behind her. Especially if he had that long beard. Yes. But <laughs> After birth, you just never get it out of a beard. Don't I know it. <laughs> Oh, Arnie, I would, what the? I'm, I'm thinking the Tom Six route. I'm just saying the most Oh, man. Ugh. (laughs) (laughs) And he pees blood. After the guy beat him up, he was peeing blood. That happens. Mm. Yeah, you get hit in the kidneys too many times and you pee blood. See, you learn something every day, Stuart. I learned it from watching Usual Suspects. Oh, well, there you go. See, movies are educational. (laughs) (laughs) 